So it's the Justin Only podcast this week, and what I wanted to kind of riff on was a conversation that I had with, or what started with conversation that I had with a mid twenty twenty year old about a week and a half ago, and this individual had you know is a few years into their career post uh, post university, and they had mentioned that they were when every time they were meeting their friends these days that they were sort of commiserating or complaining and, 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 and obviously drown, you know, drowning their sores in the, in the beverage of their choice about, you know, the unaffordability or the relative unaffordability that they were experiencing in, in looking to, or potentially considering uh, buying a home. And this was here in Calgary in, in, in Alberta. And so that honestly, you know, shook me, but that really kind of perked my ears because you know, that's a conversation that, you know, anecdotally, you, you, or at least in the news, you, you've heard, we've all heard much about in regards to uh, the GTA, you know, Ontario, other places in Ontario, the 905, uh, lower mainland in Vancouver and elsewhere and, and everywhere for that matter. Um, but for a province that, you know, has been actively and aggressively courting people and especially young people to move from, you know, um, from their current place of residence to Alberta and, and, you know, talking about, you know, one of the key talking points being, you know, home ownership and affordability or the ability to be uh, to buy a home or have lower costs of, of living uh, through rent or mortgage is that that seemingly is starting to shrink. And it just made me think about also what impact that's going to be on those individuals or, you know, for those 20 year olds right now and 30 year olds who are looking to, who want to, for whatever reason, uh, want to buy a home and our property, their primary property, our primary residence, and are finding it's, it's very, very difficult these days, um, whether it's, you know, uh, the price, the interest rates, all of that combined. And, and it has been, um, you know, to use a, a well a often used term in a, a perfect storm where, you know, post-pandemic inventories uh, of, of homes or new home builds are lower, listings are lower, um, salaries may be stagnant or, or you know, or whatnot. And, and, and interest rates obviously have gone up tremendously in the last year and a half or so, and which is all made for um, housing unaffordability to, to go, or housing prices to become even at higher levels of unaffordability uh, across the country. And, and then, as I mentioned, um, starting to here in Alberta. So, you know, that was just kind of the starting off point. And then, you know, I've also had some other conversations with clients and, and, and folks over the last uh, few weeks. And, you know, there's there's a number of other 20-year-olds and 3-year-olds who are also looking to buy, you know, their first new home. Um, you know, some of them might be expecting children, their first child, and, and are, are finding, you know, they want a place to, to a larger place than where they're currently renting to, to um start their young family. Uh, there's others who are looking, you know, maybe in their mid thirties or so, uh, you know, already bought a home or, and are looking to are now renew a mortgage. And they're finding that the mortgage rates that are being offered or, or they're being quoted at these days are substantially higher than the ones that, that they entered into. And what to do about that? And, you know, should you, uh, you know, the classic, or do you want to go fixed rate, variable rate? Um, you know, do you want, and now the conversation isn't so much that, but it's also like, do you want to do a five-year term or a two-year term or even a one-year term um, with, uh, you know, with some thinking behind what might happen or speculation of what might happen with interest rates? Uh, I've also had a conversation with somebody uh, who was recently separated and, you know, they were looking to buy uh, a new place uh, they, and decided also as well that, you know, at the time being, they've got to rent because 
you know the household income is dropped substantially of course because they're you know that's an they're an individual now on a, on a single income and then also that you know they're trying to determine what they might want to do in the future and where that ultimately and where they may be and and then also uh, a friend had mentioned that their friend was looking at drawing down on a, a home equity line of credit or a HELOC uh, to potentially use that and put that as a as a payment to reserve a spot in a, in what sounds like a pre-construction or construction uh, early days of, of a construction project, uh, and you know that wouldn't be ready for uh, occupancy or or sale again uh, for a couple years down the road. And so all of that you know were conversations that I had uh, with, with folks uh, in the last couple of weeks, and and maybe where my headspace is right now is you know well explained through something that I've, did, I've done on my own. And so last week, I actually sold a personal investment of mine, you know, an equity, a stock that I've owned for almost a decade. And, you know, a decade's a fair amount of time, you know, especially in these days when long term for some investors, uh, and especially for some newer investors, might be six months or maybe a year or two. You know, we're not even talking about Warren Buffett and him holding on to certain uh, holdings for decades, right? You know. Eight years or nine years is not quite a decade, but it, it's certainly been, you know, especially my, I guess what I want to call my savings and investment and more in my adulthood. It's been a substantial portion uh, of that time period. It's been almost been half of that time period. And so, you know, I, I kind of went Marie Kondo, I guess, right, and decided that over over the last little while uh, that this investment was giving me less joy. And, and so also correspondingly, for those who have been listening or for those who haven't listened, you know, episode, I think it was episode 23, uh, Marcus and I talked about condominiums and, and, and past personal experiences about condos. And my personal situation came to a head where I needed to determine or figure out what I was going to do uh, with that mortgage. And uh, what I decided in, in, you know, in leading up to the last, the sale last week of, of that equity was that I decided that I no longer wanted to uh, hold that investment and decided to use that money to help raise funds to um, pay down or, you know, pay off that mortgage. But the primary reason why I decided to, you know, sell that equity and, and, and use that proceeds as, as, as a way to raise funds and, and pay, help pay off the mortgage on that condo was because the, the condo mortgage that I, the mortgage I had on it was prime minus 0.8%. So currently in Canada, the prime rate is 7.2%. So I was paying an interest rate of 6.4% uh, on, on this property and 6.4% on an after tax basis. So, you know, taking a quick step back, money you pay down uh, for a mortgage or for rent for that matter is money that you have in your pocket after you've, you know, after your payroll taxes or after, you know, uh, those things are taken away. So on a pre-tax basis, that 6.4% that I was paying for on this mortgage was effectively close to 10% on a pre-tax basis. Uh, you know, so on a pre-tax basis, whether you're earning that income through employment or earning that income through investments, um, that's 10%. And 10% is uh, it's a, a number that's going to grab a hold of people, a double-digit number. And so, you know, I'm not even at a rate where I was dealing with prime percent, prime or prime plus one, right? Prime plus one would have been 8.2%, which is basically what a you know personal line of credit or or HELOC is is going for these days, you know. And when you're looking at an 8.2% percent uh, on a on a on a after-tax basis, on a pre-tax basis, you know, you're getting 13%. 
and and so that if that doesn't raise eyebrows and and you know then i don't know what will but when you correspond that comparison that opportunity cost uh, for myself, like I said, let's call it 10%. And for others, it would say prime plus one, you're looking at 13. You know, you have to take a look at, you know, what that money could be doing. And and, and the long-term, you know, returns on the equity markets have been somewhere on the order, you know, you know, you've, that rule of thumb is somewhere around, you know, seven to 8% or seven to 9%, right? And and that, that's over the very long-term. And on any given month or, or any, sorry, any given year or two-year period, it could be very different as, as what we've experienced, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, um, prior pandemic leading during pandemic and after the pandemic uh, or uh, the health crisis. But now, you know, you're in a situation where what is your opportunity cost? And so when you think about, you know, just two years ago when interest rates are basically nil or close to nil, you know, at the beginning of a pandemic that, yeah, one could be persuaded to take money and say, I'd rather not prepay my mortgage uh, because why do that when my interest rate is, you know, 1% or 0.99% or even 2% or right? is that why don't I take that money and pay what I have to on a month to month basis. But if I have any extra cash or any extra funds, why don't I invest that in something that will generate more than, you know, uh, what I'm currently paying on my mortgage. And for some people that, that logic would then make them think, well, not only on my mortgage, why don't I take debt? Why don't I draw down on, a, you know, on a, on a personal line of credit or a home equity line, um, and, and take uh, equity that I have in, you know, in my primary residence, for example, and then use that because the interest rate is relatively low and then reinvest that money into the, into the, uh, into the equity markets. You know, when you look at a dividend yield, for example, of a, a defensive sector, such as a banking or utilities, something of that nature, right? You know, a dividend yield could be somewhere at the time, at the time, you know, somewhere say between two and 5%. And so if you're, you know, your cost of, of, of that was on the order of two to three or two to four for that matter, one could be persuaded to say, well, why don't I draw down on a line of credit, take that money, invest it into the stock, into stock market, and then any dividends I might receive could help offset, if not partially entirely, uh, my my interest rate, my interest expenses. And then I have sort of a, you know, uh, exposure to growth. And for time being, you know, quite a number of people did that. Uh, but then as interest rates started going up, that opportunity cost started getting higher and higher. And it came to the point where, at least in my own personal experience, right, my 6.4%, you know, on, on, a, on a condo uh, mortgage um, became a very relatively high barrier uh, or bar to, to, uh, to jump over. And again, on a, on a pre-tax basis, that was 10%. So, you know, again, I'm, you know, talking about investment that I've owned for a long time and, I, and then I have a certain affinity towards and, you know, I knew, you know, that what was going on with it and, and, you know, I own, you know, I had it for close to a decade and decided that, you know what, for, you know, that idiosyncratic, idiosyncratic situation between that of that investment. And then also, you know, it giving me less joy relative to other investments. And then also this mortgage that was, you know, costing me 10% on a pre-tax basis. Well, why don't I do that? And then that's what I did. And I think if you take that as an example of something that I, you know, on my own, uh, uh, on my own experience, you know, take a look at your own debt. You know, we all, you know, planners and advisors and whatnot will always, you know, talk about getting rid of expensive debt, especially in debt that can't be deducted. 
right? So, you know, your credit card debt is probably the most common one, right? Certain, you know, vehicles might be another one as well. Personal line of credits would, would certainly fall into that category as well. And so, you know, those exp that expensive debt um, has become much more expensive now these days. All those rates have gone up now. And so now that opportunity cost or that personal calculation that, you know, one might have to think about uh, is become, uh, those numbers have become much more magnified. So, you know, even for example, when we talk about, you know, um, debt, student loan debt, for example, too, right? Student loan debt is, you know, I would consider that to be good debt because just like, you know, a mortgage, it, 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 you know, it was something that was one took to better their life, right? So, you know, whether it's buying a home in this case, you know, with student loan, it was, student loan, it was to pursue an education. Right now, there's a, there's a you know, uh, with the federal government side of, of student loan debt here in Canada, you know, that interest rate is now zero. Right. So as long as you paid, you know, your 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 principal back, there is no interest rate uh, being applied to the outstanding uh, amount. But on a provincial side, it's it's a different matter. So, you know, provinces will vary, uh, you know, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But at least here in Alberta, currently in August of 2023, there's a, you know, a 12 year call it a holiday. What used to be six months um, after graduation before you're required to start paying down you know, your student loans. There's a 12 month period now where interest is not being applied um, to that to that to that portion of your student loan. And so even then, you know, it's going to be applied afterwards, most likely. And then, you know, now you're looking at a rate of prime plus one. For example, that or prime plus two if you're going fixed, but let's call it prime plus one. So prime plus one is 8.2%. That is now becoming relatively expensive debt for somebody. So between a provincially, uh, the, your provincial portion of student loans, at least here in Alberta, uh, versus or you know Ontario or, for, or other places as well, is that relative to, to federal debt, your federal student loan, um, it's more expensive. So that would now become a higher priority to pay off of. Right, it's becoming expensive debt, and you know everyone's situation is unique, and, and and the different types of debt that they may have, you know, in order of importance or in, in order of expense is is going to differ. But overall, that 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 determination, you know, is is something uh, that I think should be done, especially now that you know the rates have consistently gone up. And if you are in a situation where you are even looking at a at a mortgage renewal. Right, I know people who entered mortgages two years ago, three years ago. You know, I have a, you know four years ago. I have a much lower um, percentage uh, applying currently being apply, applied than people who are entering a mortgage right now, or looking to enter a mortgage, or are about to look at renewing their term in, in the next year or so. And so now, you know, those conversations about what your interest rate is, what is your expense. What is the best way to tackle uh, any debt? In what order should you be tackling that debt? I think it's incumbent, and, and that's something I had to do, you know, for myself. But certainly, you know, it's I think it's incumbent on, on all of us to to revisit that on a regular basis, you know, through conversations uh, with your, um, you know, with your advisor, with your planner, uh, with your financial planner, with, um, you know, potentially even with your mortgage broker as well, and to see or, or whomever else your accountant to see, you know, be proactive about it. See what 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 is happening now. What may be happening uh, in in a year or two time uh, when you're looking to potentially buy a home or renew a term or graduate from university or enter you know some anything of those major changes. You're going to want to take a look at it. And so, if I use my personal example or personal situation as an example, I've personally determined that 
a 10% pre-tax hurdle rate. It was one that was going to be, you know, if I could pay that off or or get that, you know, minimize my 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 debt expense my debt expenses, then that was a worthy thing to do. And and so that's what I did. And I think that if I have to use, you know, if I practice what I preach, um, you know. I'm doing that and, and if I use my example that I you know I think that others should be seriously considering you know their debt as well and it may be taking a step back and you know in the investment market in the investments personal investments and you know, financial investments and see that maybe I should look at maybe focusing and trying to put it a, a bit more as a prepayment on my mortgage most people who do have a mortgage right now uh, will have maybe a 10 percent 15 percent 20 percent ability to pay off that percentage amount every year on their anniversary as a prepayment to the original uh, borrowed amount without any penalty. And so if you could, you know, put a little extra funds on your mortgage on a cash flow on a month to month basis, it may not affect you. Uh, it may not be noticeable, but every dollar that you're putting down on a mortgage that saves you on a pre-tax basis, you know, for example, 10, 13 percent, compounded over the remaining amortization or the remaining amount that's uh, owing on your mortgage, that's something that's really worth considering or worth calculating and determining, you know, what is it and how does that, you know, compare relative to, uh, you know, other other opportunities. So, you know, I, I did actually advise uh, another client to take out some of their TFSA, uh, actually draw it down completely and, and pay off as much as they could on their on their personal home equity line of credit because in that situation what that client had, had done is that they had actually uh, bought out a relative they had gone into a home purchase with a relative and then um you know a change of situation occurred and um there was an opportunity to buy out the the relative uh, but at the time being you know liquid cash wasn't that amount wasn't readily available so they entered a heloc but now the heloc is the expenses is, is quite substantial. Like I said, it's it's prime plus, and on a pre-tax basis, it's it's double digits. It's in the teens, and so the suggestion for that person, the recommendation for that situation was to you know take a look at the other alternatives, and and so we had decided to for them that you know paying that that HELOC as as, as aggressively as possible was going to be uh, a very uh, valid option for them. You know they'll always have that TFA space TFA. SA space in the future to recontribute, um, but you know, to get 13% pre-tax um, is something that uh, one shouldn't necessarily uh, turn their head against. And and so you know, I made that recommendation based off you know my own personal anecdote and my own personal situation as well because I'd basically done the exact same thing. I taken uh, an investment that I thought was probably going to be, if at best, comparable to 10% uh, annualized, and you know, I used that to help pay off a condo mortgage. And so, you know, I'll, I bring that up because it, it's something that, you know, for myself, that as long as I was encouraged investing in, fin in the financial markets, because the long historical returns on that have been tremendous. And it's it's a real wealth generator for people who choose to or have the ability to participate in that. Um, but, you know, in the current situation, when I see, you know, a 10% instant return, if I can pay off this mortgage, uh, or at least a, a minimization of of of, of the of my uh, of my debt, then that is something that on a personal basis I decided that was worth you know diversifying and and and, and minimizing and, and paying off that debt. So everyone's situation is going to be different. Every situation um, you know it's worth the revisit uh, to revisit and and to look at the calculations and to see um, what your personal you know risk factors are and if they've changed and if 
uh, and if, especially if you are on a variable rate or, or have uh, a line of credit that is variable and it's now to the point where it's in the highest high single digits uh, i think it is incumbent on or it behooves uh, one to to take a look at that and say to say you know that is something worth considering worth the calculation in the long run you know you, we can always revisit and look back at the equity markets as a place for long-term growth um, but when you have a situation or the ability to kind of pay down as much you know pay down a portion of it then i think it's it's worth the the comparison so in short, I sold something to pay off some debt, and I think it's worth cons the, um, the consideration for people who do have the ability to do to doing so uh, to take that into consideration as well. You know, talk to your advisor uh, uh, for further details. You know, reach out to Marcus or I if you have uh, particular questions about that. Um, I can certainly go into detail more into more detail um, about my uh, personal situation about the condo, <laughs> about my personal condo thing, and, and you know the opportunity cost on that. But um, it is worth uh, it worth it is worth the the, uh, the conversation. So with that, I'll pause for now. I'm sure Marcus will have uh, a number of opinions in regards to opportunity cost and interest rates and their uh, its effect on mortgages, mortgage renewals, um, other types of expensive debt. And I'm really fascinated by you know the conversations that I thought you know disproportionately were affecting. Um, other jurisdictions, uh, in, specifically in terms of uh, affordability of living, and and what we or the province has often been able to um, you know uh, pitch as an Alberta advantage uh, is slowly, at least for current Alberta residents, uh, is you know you know in their early 20s and 30s and and, and, and whatever other state other parts of their lives are starting to realize is that um, it's actually um, not as an as advantageous as it once may have been. Any views discussed in this podcast are those of the presenters or any guests and not necessarily those of Canaccord Genuity Corp. Statements expressed herein are not intended to provide tax, legal, or financial advice and under no circumstances should be construed as a solicitation to act as a securities broker or dealer in any jurisdiction. All views expressed are intended for general circulation only and do not have any regard to the specific investment objectives, financial circumstances, or general need of any individual organization or institution. Investing in equities is not guaranteed, values change frequently, and past performance is not an indicator of future performance. Investors cannot invest directly in an index. Index returns do not reflect fees, expenses, or sales charges. Please do not hesitate to contact us should you want to know more about anything discussed in this podcast. CG Wealth Management is a division of Canaccord Genuity Corp., member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investor Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.